Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Be over Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, and the sermon title this morning is Gospel Advance. Gospel Advance. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. We need to understand what you have to say. And we don't need to apologize for it. We want to hear it and believe it. We don't want to question it. We want to hear what you have to say, get our marching orders, walk out these doors, and obey in gratitude. Because all you've done for us, you've been so kind, we've already sang about it. That we are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ Jesus, that our sins are done away with, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is there to complain about? We're bought. We're owned by King Jesus, and we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, help me to preach with clarity. Help me to be faithful to your word. I trust that you're going to help. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our heart to hear, see, and receive what you have for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Acts chapter 20, verse 10 through 14. There was a prophet named Agabus that came and spoke to the apostle Paul. The prophet came to spoke to the apostle, and here's what we find out in verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound it in, in his own feet and bound his hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. When he heard this, we and the people urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul would not be persuaded, even though though he knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. Agabus told him, they all pleaded with him, Paul, please don't go. And he would not be persuaded. In fact, he said, you guys are breaking my heart with this weeping. I know what's coming to me, and I'm ready to march right into it. Paul was ready for what was coming. They conceded, and they concluded, after they conceded, let the will of the Lord be done. And that's key. Let the will of the Lord be done. Paul does end up go to Jerusalem. And at the end of the book of Acts, we find out that Paul is in prison at Rome. And he had suffered greatly to get there through, through shipwreck, through being mistreated. He suffered greatly, and he finally ended up bound in chains and brought to Rome. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 29, we get a window into the life of Paul and what he experienced as a Christian. And I just want you to hear this, what Paul experienced in his life as a Christian, starting in verse 23 down through verse 99, uh, uh, not 99, that'd be a long time, uh, 29. It says this, and are, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater lab- labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, And often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. 
And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure I have on me, the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fail? Fall? And am I not indignant? Paul begins to boast about his weaknesses. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. As he starts talking about his labors, his imprisonment, the beatings that he received, the turmoil that he had been in for years, others would look at that and say, well, that's weak. Only weak people experience that kind of stuff. Clearly, you don't have the favor of God upon you, and yet that is what he boasted about. I'll boast all the more. And so now Paul has lived this life as a Christian, walking in persecution and suffering, continuing to faithfully press on, and a group of people say, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're just going to get more of it. Agabus tells him, hey, if you're going to go there, if you're going to go to that city, you're going to be bound, and what you've experienced already, you're going to experience again. And Paul's like, don't cry for me, bring it on. I've been through it. That's not going to keep me away. I'm going to Jerusalem. There's nothing you can do to convince me otherwise. And they conclude, let the will of the Lord be done. So now he is in prison in Rome, writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And he says this, with that being the backdrop, he says this about his sufferings and imprisonment. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the backdrop, all that Paul had suffered, all they had went through, the shipwrecks, being at float at sea, being cold, being under attack, Finally, going to Jerusalem, being bound and brought to Rome after being shipwrecked again. And Paul says that what has happened to me has served a cause. All of that was for a purpose. And that cause was for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the purpose of all of that. Paul uses, notice, to begin with, a family word. I want you to know brothers. And I think... We should really call them earlier. I talked to Aiden and Emerson out back. I said, we're brothers. You know, they're always referred to as the brothers, the brothers. You know, I always hear Amber in all their Instagram posts, the brothers, and always the brothers. That's like their nickname. Uh, Paul uses this because he wants people to know who are blood bought, bought by Jesus' own blood. He wants people to know that you are bought and purchased as a family. So you really do have brothers and sisters. We talked a little bit about that. It's so important for us, I think, to see ourselves as family. When we come together, we don't, don't come together as people who enjoy the same kind of a church service. You're not here because we have a really great and impressive and entertaining church service. That's not what unites us. You're not here because you enjoy anything up here. What unites us is the very blood of Jesus. Preferences do not bring the people of God together. They shouldn't. It shouldn't be a collection of people who all prefer the same kind of thing. Like when you, people love, you know, like Dairy Queen Blizzard, probably everybody loves, does anybody not want to love a Dairy Queen Blizzard? I mean, that's got power to unite people, okay? <laughs> Certainly does. But that's not what church is. We're not a flavor of ice cream. We don't ch select a church based on kind of what we like and we'll go and visit this one and this one and this one and this one. That's not how the people of God should function. When we come together, we realize that we are blood-bought brothers and sisters. Jesus brings us together, not our preferences. And Paul wants his family, these brothers, these sisters, he wants them to know something. And I think uh, he wants us to know something as well. It's not just the church at Philippi, not just the Macedonian churches, not just the regions that surround there. 
He wants us to know because the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it in perpetuity. This is forever. So we're going to find out what he wants these brothers to know. I want you to know, brothers, what? Well, we just read it. What has happened to me, imprisonment, persecution, has served the purpose of advancing the gospel. That what has happened to me really served to advance the gospel. And I, it seems so counterintuitive to say that, honestly. And the leader of the New Testament church, the last among the apostles, the last appointed apostle, Apostle Paul is one untimely born, is going around starting churches, and everywhere he goes, I mean, we don't have record of every single time he was in prison and shipwrecked. We only know about it because he tells us in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. So it would seem if somebody was regularly being put in prison and beaten, that their cause was being suppressed. That's what it would seem like. And from those who are coming to oppose the Apostle Paul, and remember the Apostle Paul used to do this. He used to do this very kind of thing. He would drag families out. He would imprison them. He would beat them. He would punish them for following the way. And then he ended up becoming an apostle that was preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And that news began to spread. You would think that being imprisoned in Rome would be a win for Rome. Paul's in prison. We got him. For the Judaizers, it's a win. Yes, Paul, he's in Rome. We can finally not hear anything else from him. <laughs> Here, we got the letter. We're still talking about it. It seems counterintuitive, but Christians, Christians, here's the deal. Christians have a mission, and we have a goal, and it's shared. It's shared, and there's not one Christian that can, can opt out of this. Christians are commissioned to make disciples of all nations, every single one of them. We cannot be obedient to Jesus and not tell people about him. We, we have to. That's our, that's our commission in our life. And it doesn't, doesn't mean that all of us have to get on a, on a ship and travel land and sea, but it does mean we have to look around us. And our families, the closest around us, it does mean we have to look around us and see that I am being sent as a missionary to the people that God has given me. I'm on mission. And Paul says... That his beatings, the shipwreck, and imprisonment have served that great purpose, the goal of advancing the gospel. And Paul wants them to know this, that his sufferings aren't wasted, that, that it's doing something. It's, pro it's propelling something forward, and this something is the gospel of Jesus. Evil people cannot stop the spread of the gospel. Evil people cannot stop the spread of the gospel. Friends, every single person, every single one of you is going to go through things in your life that don't seem like they serve any purpose whatsoever. It's going to feel arbitrary. You're going to be thinking, seriously, shipwrecked again? I'm cold again? Naked again? Beaten again? None of us have the persecution resume of the Apostle Paul. None of us. Um, and yet... He looks at that persecution, and he connects it to a purpose. And I have to think that as he's floating around in the water for a day and a half, wondering, like, is there going to be a ship that comes by? You know, Jesus, I know about Jonah. Am I going to, you know, whale that's appointed to come and swallow me up, or a large fish? Um, some of you, I see some smiles. Large fish? Maybe a whale? Probably a whale. A whale's pretty large. Um, I wonder if that was sustaining to him. You know, knowing that I've seen the gospel advance through persecution before, this is not arbitrary. It's not purposeless. Maybe in the moment he was confused as he's floating about, hanging on to a piece of wood, 
and just floating, wondering, am I going to be, be rescued or not? Am I going to hit an island or not? Am I going to catch a drift and move into the sea and die? Um, but friends, I think we can learn from the Apostle Paul that the difficulties that we have faced that are far less than what Paul has just described here. I'm not saying that it wasn't emotional distress that you've experienced. I'm not saying that maybe we won't one day be persecuted in some ways like the Apostle Paul. But we have to be trained for the future, trained for the difficulties that come our way to know there's passages like this that could be so helpful that my pain is not purpose, purposeless and it is serving some cause. And God will let you and send you into difficulty to be used for your own expense for his purpose. If Paul's sufferings and imprisonment advance the cause of Christ, the cause of Christ marches on no matter who is in the White House. Really, honestly. Paul's sufferings weren't pointless, neither were yours, neither is the persecuted church around the world. 2019, from what I've heard, is the bloodiest year to date for Christian martyrs. More martyrs in, in the year 2019 around the world of Christians than in any year previous. We don't think about that very much. The status quo for Christians around the world, like we're the anomaly. Christians in the West are the anomaly. What's normal for a majority of Christians around the world is running, is persecution, is death, is obedience with great cost. God is at work. Uh, we see this in the Apostle Paul in our life, even to the present. Um, it was God's sovereign will. They said, let the will of the Lord be done. And he walked away from the church at Ephesus and walked to Jerusalem, was bound, and went to Rome. And that was God's will. That was God's will. It was his sovereign, secret will. That he would be beaten, shipwrecked, and put into prison so that the gospel would advance. Oh, to be counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. That was the anthem of the apostles in the book of Acts after they were beaten for preaching Christ. They walked away skipping after being be beaten, beaten for, the, for the cause of Christ. And they said in Acts chapter 5 verse 41, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. God, thank you that I was dishonored by the world for your great name. Thank you for counting me worthy to be mistreated for Christ. Our difficulties are for a purpose. There is a great cause. And we're caught up into that great cause, that great purpose, the gospel advancing, and nothing can stop it. Nothing. And it's all for Christ. Look at verse 13. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It was known by everyone that Paul was in prison Specifically for the reason of being a Christian. That's it. Just, you're a Christian? Okay, prison. Talk about identity politics. You've done nothing wrong other than being a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're bad. He was imprisoned for Christ. And the imperial guard knew it. And the brothers knew it. Everybody knew Paul did nothing wrong. He's in prison. He's imprisoned. He's in chains. He's bound. Simply for the fact that he loves Jesus. And he won't shut up about it. But I want you to notice something because there's a warning here for us in verse 14. Even though 
His sufferings advanced the cause of the gospel. It caused a few Christians to retreat in fear. Verse 14, it says this, most of the brothers having become confident, most of them. So like, I don't know how much most is, we'll just say it's like 60, 40. We'll we'll be generous and say it was 70, 30. So 70% of those who are hearing, you mean Paul is in prison simply for being a Christian? Are you kidding me? Where's a street corner I can preach at? Where's a Facebook post I can make? Where I, I, I'm emboldened and no, I'm no longer afraid because I know Paul is in prison for Christ. It emboldened them. They didn't shrink back in fear. They stepped up. They thought, you're going to put him in prison? My gosh, there's nothing you're going to do to stop me. I'm going to tell everybody, know, everybody I know about Jesus. Most of the brothers became confident and were much more bold. But some of them looked at the sufferings of Christ, and they shrank back. They thought, I don't want to risk that. That's the cost. If I'm going to lose friendships, if I'm going to lose respect, if I'm going to lose the praise of people, if I could end up in jail, ooh. And they retreated in fear. It seems like they were true brothers. And it's possible that true Christians can hear of sufferings, can see what's going on in the world, and take a step back and be afraid. But here's what I want to challenge every single person in here. Do not be like that. Do not be afraid. There are a lot of fearful people in the world, and there's a lot of things that we could be afraid of in this world. But I want us to be like those who saw the sufferings of Christ, sufferings of Paul, heard about it, and were emboldened, and they lost their fear. They lost it. It's just, where to go? I'm not afraid anymore. Get courage. If you don't have it, You have to have it. Friends, I've been preaching this for a couple years now, since 2018. We don't get to be ashamed with the Bible. Here's the thing. I've really lost. I I don't care who God's word offends. I really don't. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't hurt my feelings if somebody's mad at me for stating a Bible verse. It doesn't matter at all. I don't want to be intentionally offensive to anybody. But here's the thing. When it comes to God's word, there was a time, even just a, a few years ago, that people thought, I could nuance this enough. I can talk about biblical sexuality in such a way that people will get it and they won't be mad. You can't do that anymore. You can't simply, you have to just say, okay, here's marriage. If you just say this to the world right now, and for a lot of Christians, marriage is between one man and one woman. By the way, there's men and women. That sex, biology, it's, it's, there's, it's binary. There's boys and girls. Um, boys can't be girls and boys can't be, you get it. You're, you are who you are from birth. Um, and we believe that sex, according to the scripture, is intended for one man and one woman in marriage for the rest of their life. And that's the only way that it's right. Uh, people will literally hate you for that. Just, I mean, literally hate you for that. You want to say anything, differences about men and women, what God has sold, told men or women to do? Uh, any differences at all in men and women, people freak out over that. 
just the way it is. Most of the brothers heard and were encouraged. And, and friends, that's what, this is what Paul's sufferings should do. This is what the persecuted church around the world should do for us. It should motivate us to lose fear. So you're cutting the heads off of Christians? Line me up. I'm next. So you're burning people at the stake? Come on. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what God has to say about this. Let me tell you about right and wrong. That's what Paul loved so much. He wanted people telling other people about Jesus. He wanted Christians telling others the gospel of Jesus, even if it cost them their life. And even, even if people didn't like Paul, but they were still preaching the gospel, even if they thought Paul was kind of mean, he still was glad when people who didn't like him preached the gospel. That's how much he loved the gospel of Jesus. Let me explain because I think this is really helpful. There's two kinds of preachers. This text here really hits preachers between the eyes. It hits me between the eyes. Um, there are two kinds of preachers in the world. We get to hear about them here in a second. And do, do your best. When, I'm, when I was preparing for this, I'm trying to do my best to not get names and faces in my mind because I, I don't want to be preaching about different preachers I know or, or, or churches I know or anything like that. But I just want to portray the, the sketch that Paul points to. And I want to not be this kind of, I don't want to be a, a bad, the bad kind of preacher that Paul describes. But I want you to see the two kinds of preachers. And this kind of is and kind of isn't for everybody. It's very specific and very pointed. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice there's two kinds of preachers. Some preach Christ, and they do it out of goodwill, and others are preaching out of envy and rivalry. So envy, rivalry, the other's goodwill. One group, envy, rivalry, the other group, out of goodwill. Now, before we move on, I think it's important that we understand that both of these groups are actually preaching the right and true Christ. This is the true gospel. Both of these preachers are preaching the true gospel. Paul is not saying true and false teachers here. He's addressing the heart and motive between two kinds of preachers who are preaching the right gospel. Paul's very hard on false teaching and false teachers. So this group, between these two kinds of preachers, two kinds of pastors, two kinds of people that are proclaiming the gospel, they're both preaching the true gospel, but they're both doing it with different motives. Okay, so within the brother preachers then, within Paul's Christian family, there are preachers who are preaching from envy and rivalry and not goodwill. This is still true today. Uh, the heart of a pastor is a dangerous place. It really is. It's easy for a pastor to hide behind. This is all for God's glory. We're just doing this because we want more people to, to meet Jesus. Uh, it's really easy for pastors, especially in our day, to get into marketing and to try to sell your church to sell yourself. Um, there is a, there's a pool to be liked by the world and call it evangelism. Because after, after all, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're to be well thought of by outsiders. And so there's a way in which you could take that verse and say, well, see, I want the world to think nice of me. 
I want to be well thought of them, which is not what that means, by the way. The heart of a pastor is a really dangerous place, and these, this, this rivalry and envy, is, it, can get, it just rises up. Because here, here's what happens, um, and this has happened in my life. Um, you look at a church growing, and there's like this split personality. You're like, praise God, that's awesome. But also, God, why is that not happening here? Or you get online, you look on, on Twitter or Facebook, and there's this massive church, and they're like, we baptized 700 people today, and next week there's another 1,300 more to be baptized. You're like... Like, over the next 30 years, if we can maybe baptize, like, you know, 80, I'd be thrilled. You know? <laughs> like, praise the Lord. Uh, I went to college. My college roommate officiated the wedding of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Um, he's, like, big celebrity, cool guy. Um, and in the heart of a pastor, you wonder, you look at this stuff, and you, you're, you're like seeing around, and, and rivalry begins to happen, and you convince yourself, you can convince yourself that it really is, like, I'm really just motivated for the, to see God work and to see more people meet Jesus. But you've got to be careful, because in reality, you're just you're thinking much about yourself, and you're measuring yourself based on how many people are there, how many people listen to you, uh, what people think about your church or don't think about your church. And Paul's saying that there are a group of people here that... Do what they do, they preach what they preach, and uh, they do it for their glory. It's, it's about them. It's about their church's name. Envy drives many good preachers to have rotten hearts. So much so that those who are faithfully pr proclaiming the gospel of Christ, other people are motivated and excited about it, and they're looking at Paul, and they're just happy. They're like a kid who's happy that their, their brother got a spanking. They're just kind of like over there laughing about it. Like, and there's a group of pastors that are so envious of Paul and so driven by rivalry that it's like they're laughing that he's in prison. You can get to a really dark place. That you're actually trying to inflict pain on Paul as he's sitting in prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a dark place. And here they are preaching the gospel and leading people. Uh, they can preach dynamite sermons while being motivated by rivalry and envy. But what Pastors like this want, in reality, is the authority and the envy. They envy and they want the authority and the influence of the Apostle Paul or the pastor they are envying. Envy and rivalry drive many preachers, drive many preachers to keep going on. Like it's what motivates them. It's not the sustaining grace of God. It's not the Holy Spirit empowering them, just giving them a burden from the inside out. I've got to preach the word. If I don't preach the word, I'm going to burst. If I don't call people's attention to what God has to say about this issue, I'm a sellout. Because they'll sell out. Um, every single preacher of the gospel, every elder pastor must war against the double-headed beast of rivalry and envy. But others, there's this other group that Paul calls our attention to that preach Christ out of goodwill. And this is what every preacher should be like. Every single preacher should be like. Every man of God who steps up to lead God's people and to serve God's people and to sacrifice for God's people who are willingly to go in front of the charge and get burned at the stake for God's people, who will fight and bleed for the sheep, Every one of them should be like this. They should be preaching with goodwill. They should want to preach for the right reasons, to honor God and to help people. And their motive should not be, contrastly, it should not be envy or rivalry. 
should simply be a fire in their bones to preach Christ and him crucified. Um, you know, you can imagine as you're preparing, as I'm preparing to preach, it's weird talking to preachers and like, I'm, this, this uh, reads me. And every time I stand up to preach before you, I want to preach it to myself first. I want it to impact me. I want it to be devotional. I don't want it to just be this thing where I get up and do this routine, where I get up and preach to you. I want the word of God to impact me as a Christian man, not just as a preacher of the word, but as a Christian man. How does this impact me? Those who are preaching out of goodwill do not care how big the other congregation is. It doesn't motivate, like, we've got to be the biggest church in town. We've got to be the biggest church in the region. We've got to be the most influential. Who are the people of power, the people of influence who are coming to our church? And friends, I've been through so many church planning trainings over the years, over the last decade, and I've been through so many things, some better, some worse. But I'm telling you, there is so much emphasis on meeting people of influence in your city and rubbing shoulders with people who are the culture makers in the town or the community or whatever. And it is, I'm telling you, it is so thick on everything that I've been through with, with that kind of training. Um, a large portion of it is about marketing principles. And I'm, it's by good men who love the Lord, who get sucked into this idea that Christian ministry is about marketing and branding yourself and putting yourself out there and asking people what they want from the community and, and trying to meet the felt needs of the city. And there's some, good, there's some good things that can come from that, but preachers sell out. That's just the truth. And if you ever see me, ever see me, I love that our church, I'm standing up here, my, my fly was unzipped, and Hank's like, hey, dude, walks up, and he's like, he zipped that thing up. Um, our church is honest with each other. We're a family, and that's what family does with each other. And uh, Paul wrote this to the church, and what are they thinking? They're, they're looking at their overseers and deacons, and they're wondering, are my pastors preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, or is it out of goodwill? And you hold me accountable to that. I'm your Christian brother. You have to hold me accountable to that. Ask me why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I've got to be humble enough to pray through that. The goodwill group love Jesus and they love his bride. Look at verse 16 again. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. So the former, the goodwill group, excuse me, verse 16, preach Christ out of love. They know that Paul's in prison for the gospel. They're not envious of Paul. They're not in rivalry with him. They do not see themselves being opposed to the Apostle Paul, but the former, in verse 17, are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. Their motive for preaching Christ is self-promotion. And this is a group that simply wants to be liked. And they want to put the knife in and twist it to the Apostle Paul. Here's how twisted it is. They are preaching Christ. And as they're preaching Christ, not sincerely... They are thinking about how they can afflict the Apostle Paul in his imprisonment. This is how dark it can be. From the external, this guy's like, man, that guy's bringing it, man. He's pointing people to Christ. He's bringing people to Christ. He's proclaiming Christ. He's wanting people to know Jesus. And inside, he's thinking, I hope the Apostle Paul hears about this. I know he doesn't like me, and I don't like him. And I really want him to hear that I'm still doing this, and I'm still preaching out here, and this church is blowing up, and they're excited. I want to inflict pain to him. Literally like a five-year-old looking at his brother getting in trouble. And he's like, it's a dark place. It's a dark place. Selfish ambition. Ambition is a... Uh, 
tricky thing. It's a tricky thing for us all, not just for, for preachers, but for us all to be rightly motivated for the glory of God and not for self-promotion. And yet this internal turmoil that's going on when, when you're ambitious and wanting to do great things for the Lord and wondering, am I, do, am I wanting to do this for him or am I wanting to do this for myself? And I'm kind of like torn in a knot here. Uh, but these preachers, they were doing it for selfish reasons. They were envious of Paul. They felt rivalry in their hearts. They wanted to add insult to injury. And then how did Paul respond? And this is, Paul's going to be in this goodwill group. He's going to reveal himself, even though he's not explicitly saying, hey, I'm in the goodwill group. We see that he is based on his response. And this is what I want to model. I want to be like the Apostle Paul here. And I think this is important for us all. How did Paul respond? Look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, this is incredible. People who are wanting, as he's in prison, to put the knife in and turn it. Pastors, brother pastors, who are preaching the gospel, you know, equivalent today would be like massive Twitter followings, writing books, preaching at conferences, and they're rivals with Paul. They see themselves that way. And Paul's response is, if Christ is preached, I rejoice. Now, with false teachers, he says things like this. Don't listen to Alexander the coppersmith. He did me great harm. These aren't false teachers. They're preaching Christ accurately. Their motive's off. But even if they're preaching out of envy and rivalry, if Christ is being preached, praise God. If Christ is being pra preached, praise God. Paul was laser-focused on the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul loved the Great Commission, and he wanted the Great Commission, the glorious good news of Jesus Christ, to move, move forward. Uh, and for him... Prison was worth it. It really was. Prison was worth it. Suffering was worth it. His life was worth it. His blood was worth it. Death was worth it. Hunger was worth it. Being shipwrecked was worth it. Everything was worth it, no matter what the cost. So I think there's several implications that we can walk away with today. Several. We're going to narrow it down to just a few. First, nothing can stop the advance of the gospel. Nothing. Hear me say that. Nothing can stop the advance of the gospel. No amount of Bible burning. No amount of human torches. No amounts of imprisonment. No amount of internet censoring. No amount of taking away 501c3 nonprofit statuses. No amount of anything can stop the advance of the gospel. Now imagine hearing, you know, John MacArthur, a lot of eyes have been on him recently and out in California, their church made a stand along with countless thousands of other churches. I've got a friend of mine out there that's been uh, gathering, and their church has been going against Governor Newsom, who is, is being very tyrannical and overstepping his, his, uh, his lawful authority. And Johnny Mac has been saying, well, we're going to keep meeting, and we're not going to stop. I'm ready to go to prison. I've never, been, never had prison ministry. Now, if you heard, if we heard, if we just heard this modern-day story, if we heard that John, John MacArthur was in prison with his 80-year-old self, and in prison was being beaten with rods for his faith. Imagine if Cal California was doing that. It's like, now imagine. We don't us really have to imagine that much. But um, what would that do inside of you if you heard that? That turned me into William Wallace. I mean, I'd rip my shirt off, paint my face rip a squirrel open and put blood all over me. 
and fight. And I'd tell people the good news of Jesus. Wouldn't stop me. And I wouldn't care what anybody thought. What would you do? Um, this situation was way more than throwing John MacArthur in jail. Paul was the apostle untimely born. Um, and he said that this whole thing, this whole incident, him being in prison in Rome, served to advance the cause. The cause of Christ is more important than Paul. And the cause of Christ is more important than you. And if you don't know that, you will sell out. Because somebody will be offended by what you have to say. Somebody will be offended by what the Bible says. And you'll think, it costed me something. I don't like it. Does anybody naturally love? I mean, some people do. I don't. I don't naturally love people being upset with me. I don't, I don't welcome it or invite it. I don't just naturally like that. So I want to make sure if they're upset with me, they're upset with me with, for the right reasons, because of the scriptures. Um, but that can be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And so it's easy to just do whatever, it can, do whatever I can do, live my life in such a way where nobody's offended. And if you do that, it will be God that's offended. Um, don't be ashamed of God's word, ever. Be like most of the brothers who were encouraged and built up and lost all their fear. Never be ashamed of God's word or what people will think of you. A personal pain, emotional pain is worth the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obey God. He's worth it. He is for you. He is with you. And he's not going anywhere. God's purposes move forward. Uh, number two, I must preach Christ. Now, preachers proclaim Christ. The church evangelizes and preaches Christ in a different way. There's something uniquely different than just basic evangelism that we all walk in. Um, some of you have, have find it difficult to talk to your children or your grandchildren or your neighbors or your friends. We have to start opening our mouths and telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. The reign, of rule, reign and rule of King Jesus. Uh, pastors much, must watch out for envy and rivalry, but Christians must also. Um, pastors need to be like Paul. They need to have thick skin. Um, so do Christians. Uh, we don't need to be easily offended. Uh, it should be our joy um, when others persecute, revile, speak ill of us or bad of us, to say, thank you, God, I was counted worthy to suffer for your name. Uh, we should all learn from, the, from Pastor Paul, even when other Christians want to afflict us, we're going to press on in love. Um, Friends, here's the gospel of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus this morning, and you can, this is a, a way you can explain this to your friends, neighbors, coworkers, family, whatever. Um, here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. God created mankind, and God gave his law. And mankind has broke God's law. We have sinned against God. We've rebelled. And we deserve nothing from God but punishment. Nothing. That would be perfect justice if every single person who's ever existed or ever lived marched willingly right straight into hell. And that would be complete justice. It would be complete mercy, the complete justice of God if none of us got to breathe another second in this whole world. We have sinned against God in a cosmic way. But God, because he loves us, because he loves sinners, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and to obey his heavenly father. In word and deed, dot every letter, dot every I, cross every T, Live out the letter and the spirit of the law of God. 
and obey his heavenly father perfect in the place of real people, in, in our place. And he goes to the cross and he dies in the place of real sinners. He's counted as a sinner. And the judgment that you and I got, earned, our lives were weighed in the balances. And what we earned, the very wrath of God, Jesus came to take that punishment in the place of sinners. I will die in their place, a substitutionary sacrifice. And the life that he lived, for those who repented and believed in Jesus, the life that Jesus has lived, it gets credited, gets credited to those who deserved God's wrath. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, they have been forgiven for all of their sins and then given the Holy Spirit in their life, in their very body, to begin to obey the God of the universe. And we follow him all the days of our lives. If you don't know Jesus, repent of your sins and trust in him today. That message cannot be stopped. It will not be stopped. There's nothing that anyone in this earth can do to stop that message. So friends, in a tumultuous time, in a season where there's questions and doubts and people are, it's just skepticism and, and wonder and head scratching, what in the world's going on in our world? The gospel of Jesus can't be stopped. He's worth living for. He's worth dying for. He's worth bleeding for. Be like the brothers. Become confident in the Lord by his imprisonment. And much more, speak the word boldly and without fear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Um, we thank you for what you did in the life of the Apostle Paul. God, I thank you that his sufferings and persecution and imprisonment show us clearly, as we hear about it, show us clearly that the gospel continues to advance. And for 2,000 years, this gospel has continued to spread. And it, Jesus, if you don't come back for another 1,000 years, 100 years, 200 years, 2,000 years, the gospel is going to continue to march on. And there's going to be generation after generation of people who bow their knee, repent of their sins, and trust in Jesus. And there's going to be missionaries sent throughout this whole world, and nothing can stop it. And so, God, I pray that we would take heart. I pray that we would be emboldened and encouraged by the sufferings of Paul, by the sufferings of fellow believers throughout this whole world who are suffering true, true persecution at the hands of evil men, only for the cause of Christ, and that we would be emboldened. Help us never be ashamed of your word. Holy Spirit, lead us the rest of this time as we stand to sing, as we receive communion here in a little bit, turn our attention towards Christ. And God, I pray that you would not unite us in gratitude for what he has done for us. It's going to be our joy to sing. It's his name we pray. Amen. If anybody here does not know the Lord today and you want to become a Christian, talk to the person who brought you. Talk to the person that's in your row, your dad or your mom, if you're a child in the room. If you want to come and pray with me, I'd be more than glad to do that. Let's stand and worship and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit.